You're listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Outfluencer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach. I have with me today, Michael Roderick, who I had the pleasure of having dinner with uh, and... Um, we met with, through a mutual friend and producer, and Michael moved from being a high school teacher to a Broadway producer, which is kind of exciting. He sends out daily blog posts, which I subscribe to because I find them fascinating. Um, it's you no know, truly, I mean, I right, I have. We all have so much in our email boxes that to ask for one more daily email, it's a big <laughs> deal. So I do I do subscribe. He is the CEO and founder of Small Pond. And that means that uh, one, of the th- one of the things he stands for is that he helps thoughtful givers move to thought leaders. Michael, thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you are here. Uh, so high school teacher, let's back up. Like let's, sure. let's go, let's go into the way back machine. We're stepping into time and you thought to yourself, self, I would love to put myself in front of adolescence and, <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, my, my, uh, my mother was a, was a kindergarten teacher. Uh, and when I was very, very young, I used to go and help her on the last day of school. So I would always sort of go and, you know, and sort of help out. And then when I got into high school, um, I basically was just always fascinated with my teachers. Like I really just like, I got along better with my teachers, you know, than, than, than most, uh, than most students. And I remember in my senior year, we had uh, an English class where my teacher, Mr. Riley gave us this assignment where he basically gave us the assignment to teach the class. And it was the first time I had ever done it. And I remember going up there and I was doing this uh, presentation of this poem. And uh, I'll never forget, I, I came up with this idea to hand out candy uh, and basically have everybody close their eyes and have the candy while reading this like certain part of the poem because it had something to do with sweetness or something like that. And I remember sitting down after presenting, you know, after presenting and Mr. Riley coming up to me and saying, you know, you have it. It's like there are a lot of there, there are a lot of people out there, but but you you really have it. And and it was the first time anybody sort of, you know, acknowledged me in that way. Um, so I had always been interested in it. And when I got into college, I just went secondary ed English, uh, ended up being my, ended up being my major. And I found, I just loved teaching. I loved seeing, uh, I love seeing students get it. I love seeing them sort of understand it. Uh, I was originally even going to go into the, the, um, the path my mom had gone into and be a kindergarten teacher. But I realized pretty much like right within that first within that first year that I much preferred uh, the high school, the the high school level. So I'd actually switched out of elementary and went into and went into secondary within uh, within my first year. That's fabulous. 
That's fabulous. I uh, I used to work with adolescents. I used to work with runaways, and um, it really takes. I mean, for you to choose to step into the high school teaching arena, it takes something special. So um, that's awesome. Plus, a focus on English and language, and um, just knowing language matters so much and we sometimes take it for granted. Mm. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, one of the reasons I subscribe to your blog every day is that I appreciate your use of language and how colorful it is and how quickly you can drop somebody into the space of, well, imagine this. And without saying, without actually saying, now imagine this, you're like, <laughs> yeah. you, you've brought us right into this world. So uh, it's, it's great. And it's a quick read. So I am, um, if you haven't noticed, I'm highly endorsing that our audience just please take a look and subscribe. Subscribe. I'll give you the opportunity at the end of our podcast to to say where and sure. certainly put it in the show notes. Um, so you were doing that for how long? Uh, so I taught high school for eight years total. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and then. Somewhere in that eight years, because you don't just go, well, I'm done teaching high school. I think I'll go produce a play um, <laughs> or a show. It's, it's somewhere along that, the lines you were exposed to Broadway and, yeah. and you were like, this has to be my path. Like, mm -hmm. There is something special. I will say, you know, I'm based in California and and I just literally, at the time of this recording, I just literally got back yesterday from New York, um, spent about a week there. And every time I'm there, there is something compelling that just is like, you must, it's like the, the heart and soul of New York. It's, it, there's this beat that you yeah. feel, it's so good. So talk a little bit about that. Like you were teaching, you were inspiring students, you were, you could see the lights coming on. And that is the special part, I think, of um, connecting with adolescents is that when the light comes on, it really comes on. Yeah. And you thought to yourself, what? Like you were exposed yeah. to Broadway. What happened? How'd you do that? Yeah. So I, I was running the drama program at the school. Um, so I uh, basically, you know, was teaching, was teaching English during the day, but I ran the drama program. I sort of helped students, uh, you know, put on plays and put on productions. And I had my own small theater company where I was, you know, putting up shows uh, on a on a fairly regular basis, and sort of that smaller uh, in that smaller show kind of environment, the ninety nine seat and under world uh, of off off Broadway, mm -hmm. and uh, I I got to know a lot of people sort of within the industry. I got to know a lot of people who were working on sort of different projects, and I uh, went and saw this panel of Broadway producers, and I was watching this panel. And just really fascinated with sort of the, the whole world of it and the journey that these people went on. And the theater that the panel was happening in, and I actually knew the person who ran and sort of managed that theater because I had rented that theater multiple times. And I had sort of gone through that process and, and everything. And at the end of this panel, I am watching everybody sort of flooding up to these Broadway producers and thinking, well, 
uh, that's gonna it's gonna take me a long time to talk to any of these folks and she kind of just like sidled up to me and said you know everybody's trying to get get to talk to these people but they're all just going to be hanging out at our christmas party and uh lo and behold two weeks later i get an invite to the christmas party for that you know for that theater so i get to the christmas party and there are the producers that i had seen on that you know that panel um obviously far less swamped you know with uh with, with individuals and I remember I didn't have a lot of time because I was actually running a show at the time. So I had to like run to run to a show right after. So I had about maybe about a half hour or so. Wow. And yeah, Speed networking. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I noticed that one of the producers, I, I saw her just kind of ha- hanging out and she was talking to a couple of others. And I remember having this moment where I was really worried about interrupting her. I was really worried about sort of just like breaking in on a conversation. And I remember the conversation I had in my head where I was basically you know, saying, if you don't go up, and have this conversation, you might as well forget about being a Broadway producer. <laughs> so this is cool. This is like one of the things that I do in my podcast specifically is I will interrupt my guests. Yeah. Because that is a teaching moment. That is a teaching moment that if like that piece, the thing in your head, it's like, if you don't, the thing you wanted that's right there in front of you will evaporate. And yeah. it's like, that is so many people have a different conversation, which is, I can't, who am I to interrupt? Why should I do that? They're going to think of me badly. Da, da, da. And you're like, if I don't do this now, my chances are gone. And I yeah. love, love, love that because that is, that's the lesson for every single moment of every single day. I love yeah. that. So thank you. <laughs> so, so that was the interruption, the teaching moments like that. Yeah. That. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So, so, you know, I had that conversation with myself and, and I was basically like, okay, well, I'm just going to go, go up. And I interrupted and I basically said, you know, so sorry to interrupt. I saw you on this panel and I really just was fascinated with Broadway producing. And I just kind of, you know, uh, sort of talked about how I was really interested in it. And she stopped me and she said, well, what do you do now? And I said, well, I'm a, uh, I'm a high school English teacher. And she was like, oh, that's fat. And she was fascinated by that. Right. And she, so, and she was asking me about teaching and like all these different types of things. And I was answering those questions. And then she said, well, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, well, I'm on the wait list for, you know, one of the shows that's, you know, coming up. She said, nope, you're coming with me. Um, and she invited me to a gathering of members of the Broadway League. It was basically like a little cocktail gathering uh, of a bunch of other Broadway producers. So I go to this, I get to meet all of these other producers, and now I've got kind of this circle of people who fit into this, this Broadway world, and I find out that there's actually a way that people become Broadway producers. And there's there's a training program. There's a way that this happens. And I was fascinated by this. I was like, wait a second, you don't just like, you know, it just doesn't happen. And I found out about this thing called CTI, which is the Commercial Theater Institute. And it was started a, a number of years back. And it was basically originally started to teach investors how to invest in Broadway shows. But wow. over time, it became this program 
that basically if you're interested in becoming a Broadway producer, they bring in a bunch of other famous Broadway producers to walk you through the ropes of, you know, how do you get started and how do you build, you know, and how, and how do you, you move this industry forward and all of those different types of things. So I found out about it and now I kind of knew, okay, well, this is the, this is the thing. So I started looking at, okay, well, who is, you know, in that world, who's gone through the program before, could any of them write me a letter of recommendation? And uh, my first time out, of course, I got rejected, right? They have a, they have a 14 week program that they run. Uh, they do a, a, a three day intensive, which is like hundreds of people. And then they have a 14 week program that is specifically focused on like, if you're really in it, like, this is where you'd build all the relationships. Like this is where things happen. Amazing. And I got rejected, you know, first time. Uh, and then I, you know, spent the, the rest of that year building up my credibility, getting to know other producers, uh, getting a, another really good letter of recommendation. And in my second year, I got accepted into, I got accepted into that program. All the while, I was still teaching high school. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What I love also is that, first of all, the conversation in your head that said you must talk to these people. The second thing is that when you did, when you went to the, to the, uh, to the gathering, right, that you mm -hmm. also said what you did. And it wasn't like, I have to inflate what I do. I have to make this grand story. It was, this is what I do. Yeah. And the, that is enough. Right. That sometimes, so right. Sometimes we try so hard to be so much bigger and it comes off as inauthentic. Oh, yeah. Right? 100%. And 100%. so to just go, I teach high school. Yeah. It's like, that's awesome. And that was the reaction. That's awesome. How fascinating. How wonderful. Yeah. And then the process of you don't just become this thing that you have goals <laughs> and it takes work yeah and it wasn't like and i applied and i got in what you said was and i applied and of course i was rejected the first time yeah and i love that too because so often we think well i applied and i didn't get in so you know that's a sign that i'm not good enough that's a sign it's like no that's a sign that that you didn't get in the first time that's what it's fine enough. <laughs> so, exactly. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. You're listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Dr. Wayne Purnell. Liking what you're hearing? For a quick dose of Dr. P in your email, you'll love the Wednesdays with Wayne weekly blog. Go to www com slash blog to sign up. That's www.waynepurnell.com slash blog. And look around the website. There are a ton of resources there for you, including the download of Dr. P's number one best-selling book, The Significance Factor. www.waynepurnell.com slash blog. And now, back to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Dr. Wayne Purnell. So what was your first 
production like you you got trained you got in you yeah. met all the right people you figured out how to do this yeah um, i i did not know that there was a commercial theater institute that's fascinating yeah. as well yeah um so it was interesting because i was involved in a lot of projects before i got my name on a project so there's a very big difference between you raising money for something and you having your name above the title or being considered a producer on the sort of official books of the project, right? Um, but contributor, like contributor versus producer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but interestingly enough, I attribute that to how I move so quickly within the industry. So the industry is is geared towards credit. Right. So the idea is you go to other producers and you say, I'll raise this amount of money for you and then I will get credit on the show. I will be considered a producer, you know, on the show, which, you know, begins that relationship from a standpoint of like, you really have to prove yourself in terms yeah. of how much you can raise. Like you have to really be on top of it. Um, and you have to spend a lot of time sort of building up the trust and building up those relationships, right? So when I learned that the, the key component of Broadway was raising money, I actually started by just going to producers that I admired and that I was interested in and then basically saying, listen, I'm new, so I have no idea how successful I'm going to be at this. So I'm not going to ask you for credit because I can't guarantee that I'm going to raise anything. But if you're willing to give me the paperwork, if you're willing to give me a shot at just kind of going out there and letting other folks know about this and finding some potential investors on the project, I'm more than happy to, I'm more than happy to try. And what ended up happening was a bunch of producers gave me their paperwork which meant that when I was going to investors, rather than just having one project that I was raising money on, I had a portfolio, which meant I could, if somebody didn't like one project, I actually had three or four others that I could show them. So I ended up raising money behind the scenes without my name on anything for quite a, for a good chunk of that time. And it was basically just a credibility builder. And it wasn't until another producer sort of saw that I was raising this money and doing things on these other projects because it was kind of coming through the grapevine, right, that I was, that she sat me down and said, I know that you can raise this money. I've seen you do it for others. And I would like to offer you the opportunity to get credit on this show. Fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. You're familiar with Zig Ziglar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So one of his famous quotes, you can have anything you want if you help enough other people get what they want. And, yep. you know, you going out and saying, I don't need anything except experience right now. Let me help you. That's fantastic. That is like that is another lesson that I wanted to pause at and just say sure. that is gigantic. Right. That you you didn't. I'm just, I'm like, so many people 
set out and they go, I want to be this. And then when they're not this automatically, whatever the this is, they're like, well, this, you know, that must not be the thing or whatever. Instead of, I want to be this, what does it take to become that? Mm-hmm. What are the steps to actually become that versus I want to be this? Why is why is nobody paying attention to me? I'm I'm saying I'm this. So you you took the steps and you yeah. were you were not expecting to be called producer and someone said it's time. Yeah. And I love I love that. <laughs> that is also part of the dream, right? Somebody yeah. like you do enough work and somebody goes, Well, you are that person. Yeah. Like, oh, I will take that mantle on. I will wear that crown. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, um, so how many shows have you produced? I don't like. So, I don't. I don't know any of this about your background. Yeah. So I was behind. I was like helping raise money on probably anywhere between I would say seven to ten different different projects. Whether it be that I was raising a small chunk of change for the show or whether it was that I was introducing them to other producers or whether it was that I was actually my name was on the you know was on the project or I was with a team of people who were sort of on the project. So it wasn't a ton, you know, it wasn't a ton of shows during, you know, during that time, but I definitely ended up helping a lot of shows, you know, happen. Um, you what's know, the from threshold? Like, can you just, can you share that? Like, what's sure. the threshold? When you, when you say I'm going to raise money for a show, is it a hundred thousand, 500,000, 3 million? Like, what does it take yeah. to launch a Broadway show and be called a, a producer? Yeah. So it really actually depends on the show and it depends on the size of the budget of the show, because everything is basically, if you imagine the budget, you're breaking down that budget and each person is kind of responsible for a certain amount, uh, a percentage basically of the raise of that budget. Mm-hmm. And the larger the percentage you raise, the more credit you get, the higher your name goes up on the actual, on, on the playbill. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's above the title and an above the title producer could have raised anywhere between, you know, 500,000 to a million to, you know, multi millions, depending again on the budget of the show. Right. But then you've got below the title, which those are producers who have raised smaller amounts. And then you've got below the title with a slash. So you may have, if you're looking at a Broadway playbill, seen, you know, this person's name slash and then maybe the name of a company, right? That slash means that each person basically raised half of what was required to be below the title. So let's say it was a $500,000 you know, cap to be able to be a below the title producer on one of those projects or 250,000, let's just say, then each of those people on either side of the slash raised 125,000. I got you. Yeah. So, so the thing is like the numbers really break down quite a bit. So there have been Broadway shows, depending on this, again, the size of the budget where people have been able to be an investor in a Broadway show for about $10,000. Right. Mm. Um, there have also been, you know, instances where you could probably be a producer on a show, especially if it was hurting for money and they were trying to raise because ink, as they say in the industry, ink is cheap, right? Um, so, you know, to have your name as a producer, if you can write a $75,000, $100,000 check, you can just get the producer title. 
as opposed to like being, you know, and that's yeah. what happened on a lot of shows, wow. on a lot of projects. People who had no, you know, sort of bearing in the theater whatsoever um, were just like, okay, yeah, I'll write you a big check and then you can sort of give me the producer title. Is there, um, so that's is there an expectation that as a producer, is there an expectation that that money is repaid? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, um, it's an expectation, um, but not, not an expectation in the context of uh, guarantee. Right. It's right? not a loan. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a percentage of profit. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So it's an investment scenario. So it's, so every so unlike film where basically you raise the amount of money and then there are really no other costs right like the film is in the can and you've already spent all the money that you need to spend broadway is a living breathing thing so every week you have what's called an operating cost right and yeah. it costs you a certain amount to run that show so if your ticket sales make just enough to cover your operating costs or less than your operating costs, then your show is probably going to not run very long and your investors aren't going to make any money. <laughs> but if your show does really well and makes yes. above the operating costs, everything above the operating costs starts being distributed first to your investors. So if you're a producer, and this is why they say in producing, you can't make a living, but you can make a killing. Got it. Because until your investors are made whole, you as the producer don't make any money. But once your investors are made whole, it's then that profit. goes to a 50-50 split. The investors keep making money, but now you start making money every week off of the off of the operating cost. That's incredible. That's incredible. Good. Whew. That's that is quite an education. All right. So yeah. let's let's jump ahead just a little bit in your sure. timeline. Yeah. To small pond. Mm -hmm. So you've like thank you for that education because I of course that's brand new to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure that most of my audience didn't know that that's how Broadway productions came about. Yeah. Um, hey, I have an idea. Let's put on a show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um so good so small pond which i assume implies big fish in a small pond the way mm -hmm. you do it yeah um, because what you're doing is you're helping people highlight who they are yep. and you are helping people network and brand themselves in a big big way so talk a little bit about that because i love that concept as well i love your work um if you can't you. tell i'm a big fan so thank you <laughs> you are welcome yeah so so basically what i have seen time and time again is that the thoughtful giver the person who is very very good at supporting others the person who loves to help the the person who does really really great work is also the most likely to deprioritize the packaging of their own intellectual property so they could do this work and do really really great things but they will always put off saying how would I explain the work that I do? 
right? They would put off that packaging kind of piece of it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I learned in my own journey was the reason why I ended up in all of the rooms I got into was because people would talk about me when I wasn't in the room in a good way. And that always came down to the ways I would explain things, the ways I packaged my ideas. So what I do these days is I go to those thoughtful givers, those thoughtful companies, those people who they have a good understanding of what they do, but they don't know yet how to turn it into that element of thought leadership. They don't know yet how to craft what I call their if. So lots of entrepreneurs know their why, lots of companies know their why, but very, very few ever take the time to get to know and understand their if. And their if. Yeah, say more about that. Is their innovative framework. An innovative framework is you taking the time to break down how you see the world, how you see things differently, and what people can do with the information that you've now given them. And when you craft that, when you come up with that concept, that idea, it turns into books, it turns into projects, it turns into consulting, it turns into interview requests. All of these things happen when you take the time to sit down and say, what is my innovative framework? What is the thing that I have to share? What is my thought leadership? And that's what I love pulling out of people. That's what I love helping them think through. That's what I love helping them see. And the, the metaphor that I often use for this is that if your business or your brand was a Broadway show, would anybody buy a ticket? Mm. If not, you've got to start looking at that. You've got to start looking at that because the people who love you and the people who already know you, they're always going to buy from you. Because the relationship will always make the sale. It's the people beyond the relationship that you need to reach. So if you're not creating that element of thought leadership and specifically creating referability in your business, if you're not making it so that other people are talking about your ideas and you when you're not there, you're always going to be within just that same circle of people who already kind of know what you're doing and are willing to are willing to support you in your ventures. Huge. That's huge. Uh, I'm going to repeat something you said. Um, I'm going to paraphrase something you said because I'm not saying it exactly your way, although I'm using your language, I think. If your business were a Broadway show, would anyone buy a ticket and refer? So two things. One is uh, we, we know in marketing, it's about being known, liked, and trust, mm -hmm. right? No like trust. Those are, the, those are the three key elements. And what you've said is that's great. No like trust and endorse or purchase, mm -hmm. which is really great. If your business were a Broadway show, would anyone buy a ticket? What do they know about your business 
versus or in addition to or on top of what they know about you, the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, the first part of my business in growing my business was about how well I was known by certain people. Mm -hmm. And um, and my pond has expanded because, yep. right? So I am, I'm being known more and more and uh, moving beyond a very particular niche. I love the idea of, and are you being talked about in such a way that you, that people will refer to you? Yeah. And that's going to go, you know, if you think about your business, I, I have lots of friends who are authors and they're like, how do I get my book out there? I have mm -hmm. lots of friends who are uh, entrepreneurs, um, which is, um, you know, they have the entrepreneurial seizure of, I think I'm good enough. I should just start a business. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like selling what to whom, right? And how do you yeah. So I love your magic. I really love that that is your magic, that you take the idea and you make it brandable. Mm -hmm. um, are there any success stories you can talk about? Sure. You know, case study kind of things? Yeah, yeah. So there are lots of there there have been lots of people over the over the years who they were selling they were selling the wrong thing, right? Or they were selling the thing that wasn't nearly as valuable as what they uh, as what was sort of in the background of what they uh, of what they had to offer. Um, so one of these was a photographer uh, that I that I had worked with, and I remember in the early stages, the way that he was selling his, his work was focused on, I'm going to get you lots of social media images. You're going to have lots of material to use. And, you know, as we talked, it was like, well, that's a commodity kind of thing. Just having more images doesn't really make us want to spend additional money. Right. Right. But when we talked about why, he was doing what he was doing. And we really kind of dug in. He was talking about having this passion for being able to show people as they really are. Mm. And, and that was what he was excited by. He mm -hmm. was excited by the idea that you could show up to a photo shoot and not feel fake. I love that. I love that. And, and right. that was the thing when he did, when he brought, I was like, that is what you're selling. Yeah, authenticity. Not, I'm going to yeah. capture you in your authentic space. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. So he started writing about that. He started selling that, and it just it, it it made it so that the offer was significantly more compelling. Yes. Right. Yes. So much more compelling. So yes. much more powerful. Because a, a photographer, I mean, you can look through a portfolio and go, yeah, good images, right? Um, but wow, good images that capture the actual essence of somebody versus a glam shot. Love it. Yep. Love it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and most of the time, th this is the, uh, I, I often like to refer to this as like your side dish often becomes your main, That's right? Awesome. And, and all too often what happens is we have something that we do that we consider the side dish, but until we really kind of explore it, 
we're not going to uh, we're, we're not going to know which thing is actually going to hit the audience right so and i'm a perfect example when i first got started i was always selling networking right mm -hmm. and and the challenge with selling any kind of networking product or education is that networking has far too many variables yes. for you to show success for the client right so i could teach you the best networking education in the world. I could give you all of the world-class material, but were you successful because you met a certain person? Were you successful because of the market that you decided to sell to? Were you successful because of the language you used? I mean, any number of those things. So I, I remember very distinctly, I was teaching these networking workshops that were next to impossible to fill. It drove me nuts trying to get people to come to a networking workshop, right? Like it was a lot of work. And during one of these workshops, I take 15 minutes for something that was a side dish for something that I was like, okay, this is kind of this interesting thing that I've been kind of toying around with. And I'm going to take 15 minutes to talk to you all about it. Now, mind you, two days worth of like deep, deep instruction on networking, right? So I said in this, in, in this 15 minutes, I said, I have a theory mm -hmm. that if you create a referable brand for yourself, if you make it so that other people are talking about you when you're not there, that people will just want to introduce you to other people because you become the shiny object to them. Yes. You become the thing that makes them look cool to their market. And I get to the end of this workshop, two days worth of teaching, ask everybody what they want their hot seat to be on. And everybody says they want their hot seat to be on how to create a referable brand. <laughs> so I'm like, well, this is the thing that people want. Yes. This is the thing that's interesting. So I shifted everything and said, yes. okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break down, I'm gonna give you the frameworks to create a referable brand and then as I started working with clients, I realized, oh, you can actually increase the power of your level of referability by doing all of the relationship building stuff I was teaching. So the mistake that we make is that we think that we need to build a network and sell a service. And that is wrong. We need to come up with an interesting concept that a network would be fascinated by, something referable, something interesting, and then build the network around that. We're doing it in the wrong order. The best thing we can do is create something that's interesting and exciting for people and then go to the network and say, I've got this thing that's going to make you look good if you share it. Do you want to share it? I am smiling so big right now. That is so <laughs> great. It is, uh, it's very congruent with what's happening for me personally. Um, mm -hmm. And it is an incredible concept. I never thought of, uh, well, we've been doing it wrong. I've thought of like uh, what you've done, just what you've, what you've just said, how to create a referable brand. Um, it flips networking on its head, which is fantastic, right? So that yeah. you're creating 
the thing and then creating the network around the thing yeah. versus um hi i do such and such buy my stuff hi, you know it's like uh if i give away you know, 100 business cards in an event uh, you know i'm down 100 cards so i must have yeah. met 100 interesting people and maybe maybe somebody will contact me it's like no maybe they folded your card and they put it in their pocket so they can chuck it later right it's like yeah um, yeah yeah. yeah. And I tell people this all the time where it's like, if you you want your business to do one of three things, and if you it's easy to remember, because if you don't do at least one of these three things, you'll be sad, S-A-D. <laughs> and that is solve a problem, alleviate pain, or decrease friction. Ideally, you do all three, but you got to hit at least one in order for it to be a need to have, as opposed to a nice to have. Like you've really got to ask, am I solving a problem for people? Am I getting rid of pain? Or am I making it so that there is less friction in whatever it is that they're doing? If I'm not doing any of those things, I've I've got a vitamin, I don't have a painkiller. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. And when you sell it, you poke on the problem. Mm -hmm. And you point out the pain mm -hmm. so that you can then say, look at my solution. Well, it's fantastic. Oh, Michael, I could talk to you <laughs> for days. This is fabulous. <laughs> Seriously, this Thank is you. very good. Um, I so appreciate you. What, uh, what didn't I ask you? What were you hoping that I could ask or would ask? And, um, and or what big lessons would you like to, to leave for my audience? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there are lots of different sort of directions we could, you know, we, we could, uh, of course, go. But I think one of the things that sort of ties all of this together is uh, this idea of you can't underestimate the significance of making other people feel significant. Mm. And everything that you're doing, you have to look at it through that lens, whether or not you want people to share your idea, whether or not you want them to buy your stuff, you have to look at whatever it is that you're selling, whatever it is that you're creating, whatever it is that you're putting together through the lens of how is this valuable to them? And I think that the mistake that we make, especially when we're sort of inundated with all of these ideas of branding being about how do we look cool, that we forget that referability and true influence in terms of a market is making other people look cool when they share your ideas. Huge. Right. And that's even if you're not in business, even if you're even if you are somebody who stocks product at a grocery store mm -hmm. to keep that in mind, how do I make other people feel significant allows people to go, you know, there was that one person that was amazing at this grocery store or, you know, it's like, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you. This is so good. <laughs> tell me where to tell people, right? So how do sure. how do we how do we get our audience to find you, to subscribe sure. to your blog, to all that stuff? Yeah. Um, so I have a tool called uh, myreferabilityrater.com, um, where you can actually take a test to see how referable you are. 
and start to see kind of like where you match up with the the main factors of referability. So that's a really solid tool. And when you get that, um, you get an email from me and you can get on the daily email list and all of that fun stuff. Um, and then my website is just smallpawnenterprises.com. Uh, you can always go there and there's uh, some other goodies over there as well. All right, I'm gonna say it again, um, partly so I know as I'm writing, um, mm -hmm. so as uh, like as I'm talking, I'm looking down obviously, and um, it's not because there's anything interesting on my floor or whatever. <laughs> I'm writing, uh, I am writing. So my referability rater. dot mm -hmm. com. Yep. And smallpondenterprises.com. Uh, I have not checked out my refer my referability rater yet. So um, nice. I'm going to do that because I think that'd be awesome. And uh, small pond enterprises, I'm on your mailing list. I, uh, yes. I get your email. Um, love to connect with you. Love to stay connected with you. So um, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank thanks so much for having me. It was an absolute blast. It, it was a blast. I feel like yeah. this is the first of many conversations. So totally 100%. Uh, really good. Really good. All righty. Um, cool. The my guest, Michael Roderick, uh, myreferabilityrater.com and smallpondenterprises.com. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I am the host, Dr. Wayne Purnell, Dr. P, your breakthrough success coach. Thanks for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most without Fluxer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. For more information, please go to onesharpsword.com.